Well, Thursday night was the 1st of November, which I can't believe that's already happening. I'm just over, overwhelmed at how fast this uh, whole year seems to have gone. It was the 1st of, the, of November on Thursday night. And that means that the mission downstairs kicked off its overnight uh, program for the season. Um, most of you know that that's our outreach downstairs that start, it started as part of this church. It's grown up into its very own nonprofit charity now. Um, but we do a free laundromat, some, some food for folks, and there's a shower down there, just a nice place to hang out. And then uh, overnights during the winter um, so that people could come in and, and rest and not have to sleep out in the elements. Uh, Thursday night, the overnight low, I looked it up, it was 41 degrees. It's still warm enough that some of our patrons who are living out in the woods in tents, you know, they'd prefer to keep their own space and their own solitude for as long as they can. So we only had six guests that, that first night, but that number will go up. Last year's census was somewhere around 30 was the average number of folks that we had staying with us. So starting last Thursday... People slept just right below our feet, in the room right below our feet, tucked in safe and warm in recliners um, so that they didn't have to be out in the cold and out in the wet. Just amazing to me. The first volunteer for the kickoff night of November 1st, she's one of my favorite volunteers. She was with us last year. She was a faithful weekly um, volunteer she, she's a dear woman. I, I'm not going to share her name because I don't know if she'd be comfortable with me telling you who she is, but she is a, a person who was a kindergarten teacher. That's the way she made her career before she was retired. A tiny little petite woman. I would almost use the word frail, but she's, she's stronger than she looks. She's in her eighties. And when she comes to stay, she carries with her, her home oxygen and every time we talk about, we have a conversation, her and I, about the folks that we serve, she cries. I don't blame her. I can't really blame her. I cry a lot, too, about this particular thing. This is the third year we've been doing it, and I am just as emotional this year as I was that first night in 2016, the first time that we opened our doors to be able to do that. We didn't mean to start a shelter. You have to understand this. We didn't set out with this as our intention and our goal. We didn't mean for this to happen. We were running the free laundromat and, and offering showers and we were doing meals and that felt like a lot to offer and it felt like a lot to manage, honestly. But there was a young woman that had been living in her car in our parking lot for several months that year. She had absolutely no financial resources. She had no support system to speak of. And her partic particular limitations in functioning made it really unlikely that she was going to be able to find a solution anytime soon. And the temperatures were dropping, and it was getting colder outside. And we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know what we were doing, but we couldn't bear to do nothing. That just wasn't okay. And so we just went for it. We just 
went for it. We put out an, a, a post on Facebook and we found, you know, a handful of other crazy volunteers that were, that were just, just foolish enough to throw in with us and help out. And we just did it. And that first year, that's, that's how we found the young woman that is now our, our director and our first paid employee. We found her that year. She was an overnight volunteer. She felt so compelled to help that she came with her nursing infant to spend the night here in this building and to serve people that she had not met that did not have homes. If you can just imagine, some of you met her last week and her kids and her little little Irish cherub with his red hair and his blue eyes and his fat cheeks just laughing and babbling at, at some of the, the individuals who may not have had the opportunity to take a shower and, and may have had a couple drinks before they came in and things like that. So she has a heart of gold and she, she, was, she was a miracle in answer to my prayers. That's what it looks like for us to remember the poor. To remember the poor. We're continuing in a series that we're calling Vineyard 101, just working through some of the beliefs and cultures that are at the very core of who the Vineyard movement is. And today we're going to be unpacking this very fundamental distinctive of remember the poor. So if you wonder why we are a church where you frequently can drive by and see people that would fit the description of the stereotypical homeless person, why um, there are people sometimes gathered in our back alley at the picnic table in out of the rain under the carport, why you will see individuals that some churches might chase away, but we welcome into our space. If you wonder why we are that kind of church, it's because of this value that is so foundational to who we are, that we would respond with compassionate ministry to those who are hurting and broken and outcast in our world. And this, this value by no means is limited to those who have a lack of, of financial or material resources. So keep that in mind as we talk through this. There are lots of ways that we can be in need. Lots of ways we can be in need. John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, he went so far as to say back in the day, if you aren't going to be kind to the poor, then don't use the name vineyard on your door. I wanted to start today, I just want to read a, a pretty short excerpt from a book. This book's called the, the Way In is the Way On, and it's kind of a compilation of some of Wimber's writings about different topics, and, and this is one of, the, one of the topics that he talks about in this book. I just wanted to read to you some of the words of our, our founder about remembering the poor. The command Jesus has given us is simple and uncomplicated. Feed the poor, clothe the naked, heal the sick. We don't need to find the worthy poor. How judgmental. We do not have the responsibility of determining who is worthy and who is not. We are not the ones to determine worthiness. Only need. 
Is it luck that determines where or in what time, what family, what culture we are born into? Or is it the plan of the Almighty God that we be his hands and feet in this place, in this time, in this culture, with whatever resources he chooses to give us? The poor could be them one day, and it could be us the next. Thank God Jesus calls the poor blessed. Perhaps we should befriend the poor and see this blessing for ourselves. We need the poor. We need the poor to work out our own salvation, and the poor need us. A prophet once said that our name in the vineyard is worship and compassion. I hope that is true. We do love the worship that the Lord has given us. We experienced some of that this morning. Wonderful times of worship. We, we do cherish God's presence that accompanies the worship when his power to heal is right there with us. The manifest presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our midst is connected inseparably to his mercy and compassion. God will not be treated like a smorgasbord, as though we can pick and choose what suits us best. That's not the way that it works. It's impossible to have one without the other. We just wouldn't survive the surgery. The same Lord who gives sight to the blind and creates miracles through our hands is the very one who feeds the hungry through our hands and who watches over the immigrant. We must never ignore the poor and needy. We must never spend the outpouring of the Spirit on ourselves. It is my opinion that the best way to become whole is to help others. I think there is a direct path to healing in ministering to the poor and needy. Unless this ministry is a major force in the church, we will become introspective and self-focused. We get well in helping others get well. So just as emphatic as Wimber was that the vineyard be a people that is marked with engaging worship and the presence of God and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And like we talked about a few weeks ago, doing the stuff, the miracles that Jesus did. He was emphatic that we be a people marked by those things. But he was equally as emphatic that our movement be marked by care and concern for those who are less fortunate. And that is a good move. That's a good move. Because the Bible is full, full, full of explicit instructions to posture ourselves this way. God's heart toward the poor is more clear than just about any other topic in Scripture. So today we're going to look at one of my favorite passages on this matter. And I thought about sometimes we try to kind of condense things for time's sake, but I don't know. I feel like we kind of get out of the out of the habit of experiencing large chunks of scripture. And so I'm going to read quite a bit of this chapter um, just because in its entirety, it really it really has something to say. So Isaiah chapter 58. I'm going to read verses three through twelve. 
If you need to grab a Bible out of the windowsill or feel free to use your tablet or your device at Wi-Fi Vineyard Public, there's no, no password there or anything. And of course, the words will be on the screen behind me. Now, in the, in the very beginning of this passage, the Israelites are complaining. They were pretty good at doing that in a lot of different contexts. But they were complaining that they had been keeping this religious observance of fasting. And they didn't seem to be getting the blessings that they felt like they were owed because of their great piety. And so God, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, he, uh, he kind of throws a flag on the field, so to speak. And he says, hold up, let me just remind you of a few things. So this is God speaking through Isaiah. Chapter 58, we'll start in verse 3. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet, God says, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. And exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. And striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today. And expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? All of the outward trappings of this religious observance, is that all it's about? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? God is pulling no punches here. He says to them, you guys are really missing the point. But he's about to set them straight. In verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting that I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them. And not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then, he says, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will appear quickly. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you, I love this verse, if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday, the brightest light that there is in the middle of the day when the sun is just overhead and uninhibited. Then your light will become like the noonday, and the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, 
like a spring whose waters never fail. In verse 12, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. May we all, each and every single one of us, aspire to be worthy of the title repairer of broken walls. It is fashionable in some circles, especially in the Western church today, to disparage the concept of social justice. And I understand that the secular world sometimes has a little bit of a different approach than the church does to that concept. Why should we worry about saving bodies when God is just concerned with saving souls, they say. Well, you have to ignore quite a bit of scripture to make that position work. Quite a bit. Because passages like Isaiah 58, they don't leave a lot of wiggle room. We are expected to care for those that are in need. And we are expected to act justly in this world. And our religiosity, if divorced from acts of service, it has little value. But when devotion to God is demonstrated through genuine compassion, that is how the kingdom of God advances. And according to this passage in Isaiah, there's benefit to all involved. That's what John Wimber was talking about in that text that I read earlier when he said we need the poor just as much as the poor need us. We ourselves find blessing when we bless others. That makes little sense in the world's economy, right? Because they tell us we're supposed to look out for number one. Take care of ourselves. But do we not live in, as followers of Jesus, do we not live in a different economy? Do we not have access to an eternal system of measure? I seem to remember reading something that Jesus said about the first being last the least among us being the greatest, those upside-down principles of the, of the kingdom of God that the world would tell you were foolish. But listen, whether it makes sense or not, whether it makes sense or not, it is true that we rise by lifting others. I cannot tell you how many times this principle has proven itself in my own life. The privilege of being involved with what has happened and grown in the mission over the course of the last, it's been about 15 years since the first seed of an idea happened and to where we are today. So many times I have seen this principle at work 
not, not this, one of the simplest examples is days when I felt so weighed down with despair and depression, I didn't want to get out of bed, but I was scheduled to cook lunch downstairs. And so I dragged myself up. I dragged myself to the shower. I dragged myself down here. And as I look into the faces of the precious people that we serve, they come relying on us not only for material sustenance of that, of that bowl of chili that we're handing out, but also the emotional sustenance of being seen and valued and noticed as a human being. And I find myself every single time I am in that space being provided with the same encouragement that I came thinking I was going to dish out. I'm getting that from them. You see, it's not an us serving them. Listen to this because this is very important. Very important. It is just an us. That's all there is. Just us. We are all, all needy in some way. And we all have resources to share. Acceptance of that reality is what keeps us from becoming self-righteous on the one hand or from becoming a victim on the other. Neither of those extremes is healthy. Neither extreme is healthy. If we are convinced of our own self-righteousness, we can end up looking down condescendingly on those that we serve. Or probably worse yet, we put ourselves in that position like John Wimber talked about of deciding who deserves help. What a precarious position to be in. That position of judgment is reserved for God alone. And on the other hand, if we're convinced that we are so destitute that we have nothing to offer, then we're robbed of the opportunity to tap into the power that being generous has to lift us up out of ourselves and out of our circumstances. We're robbed of the satisfaction of watching Jesus multiply what we see as a meager offering Just as he did when a small boy offered a small lunch, which in Jesus' hands became a feast for thousands. And that's, please hear me, that's not just a nice Bible story. That's not just a fairy tale we tell the kids. That is a truth for all of eternity. That our offering in Jesus' hands can become something far beyond what we can imagine. You will never convince me otherwise. Never. Now that I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in action downstairs. That is how everything happens with this effort. A family picks up an extra bag of groceries and drops it off. One Walmart bag full of, you know, a couple jars of peanut butter or something. Somebody has a couple hours and they, and they bring that to the table. 
We had kids that brought us their, the proceeds from their lemonade stand that they set up on the corner in their neighborhood. Maybe a widow who's cleaning out a closet and would like to do something meaningful with her late husband's couple of winter coats. And on and on, the stories of just the individuals who bring just what they have in their hand. And God takes that, and he joins that together. And he joins that together with the heart of this church, which if we go all the way 15 years back, and it has to continue to this day, we say yes to allowing our space to be used for something that is so clearly sometimes messy. But it is so significant. He takes what we offer him and he uses it to transform a city. Rala is a different place than it was 15 years ago because of the mission and because of this church. Because of you guys and all of the people that invest their time and their talents and treasures, the city of Rolla looks a little bit more like Jesus wants it to look. And that's the point of our charge to remember the poor. That's the point of our vineyard distinctive. That was John Wimber's hope is that through the efforts of local congregations, we would advance the kingdom of God. Provision is a reality of the kingdom of God. There is no lack in eternity. And wherever there is lack in the here and now, we as the people of the kingdom of God have the opportunity and the privilege to find out how we can partner with God and with other kingdom people to fight against that. And as long as the name Vineyard hangs over our door, that's something that we're going to invest in and we're going to commit to living out.